This is Around the Farm, and I'm your host, Rick Myrup, and as always, we're going to be talking about all things agriculture. Now, it's that time of year again. We're headed into harvest. Some are already started. Some are just getting ready. And it's time to start thinking about how our challenging planting season may impact harvest. And our guest today is the perfect person to give us a look from the field. He runs a business that's all about boots on the ground. He's got a team of agronomy consultants that work with farmers across three states, providing practical insights to improve their operations. So he's probably running into some of these issues that you're concerned with today with some of his customers. With that, Greg Knibler, thanks for joining us today. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your business? You bet. Well, I'm glad to be here, Rick. So I own and operate G&K Concepts. We're a, an independent crop consulting firm based in Northeast Indiana. We're part of the Amplify Network of consultants that are associated with the Brookside Laboratories out of New Bremen, Ohio. And there are uh, independent consultants around the world, and we just happen to be one of those and spend most of our time working with growers, mostly corn, soybeans, and wheat, and focus uh, most of our efforts in Northeast Indiana, Northwest Ohio, and Southern Michigan. And we don't sell anything to our clients. Our goal is to help manage their soils, help manage their agronomy focus uh, all our efforts on good agronomic management, and uh, our goal is their success, and that's where we devote our energy. You know, Greg, uh, we, we were talking before the show got started here, and you'd, you'd mentioned that, you know, you're a Boilermakers fan first, but also a Colts fan. I I got to tell you, if, uh, if you guys could send some of the mojo over that allowed you guys to have Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck to my Chicago Bears, we could really use a quarterback right now sitting on a Super Bowl defense, but pathetic quarterback play. <laughs> well, like we were talking earlier, we kind of lost our franchise quarterback abruptly right at the start of the season. But uh, our backup quarterback's been uh, doing really well, so I really don't have any complaints there. It must be nice. Our backup quarterback is four foot six inches tall, and I'm not sure how he sees over the line. But alas, we can talk <laughs> Bears football all day. Let's get back to the topic at hand. So. You have a, a unique opportunity to, to talk to the listeners today about some of the challenges that uh, the folks are facing. And being that your, uh, your organization really works across farmers with three different states of geography, can you tell us a little bit about some of the common things that you're hearing this, uh, this harvest as people are starting to get prepped, especially considering some of the challenges that we had uh, in the spring this year? It's definitely been one of the most challenging years, if not the most challenging year we've ever seen, at least in our professional career. But uh, it's definitely a year we don't want to relive if we can, but we got to deal with what we have. It definitely messed up a lot of plans for a lot of our clientele in terms of crop rotation and a lot of fields not planted, a lot of prevent plant fields. So in order for us to help our clients plan for 2020, it's challenging because you know, everybody's normal plans are messed up and we're asking them to try to tell us what they want to do in terms of crop rotation for 2020. And a lot of people don't even want to think about 2020 because they're trying to get through 19. So it definitely has its challenges, but we'll, we'll work through it. I mean, we've been through some tough situations before and we'll get through it. You know, when you think about, uh, things not being normal. It, it feels like the new normal is abnormal, especially when it comes to uh, to the weather that we've been getting the past couple of years here. The challenges that we've faced at planting have, have really created a lot of different opportunities for us to evaluate the decisions that we're making through the year, to look at how we can better position ourselves for success on the farm. 
Uh, as you think about farmers that are, are looking at the timing of harvest that's coming up here and really understanding that, hey, for a lot of folks, it's going to be late this year. What are some of the key things that, uh, that your team's advising farmers to be mindful of as they're approaching a harvest that, uh, that could be a little bit later or even significantly later than they had originally intended? So a couple things, I guess, on that front. But first of all, we're obviously later. There's a small percentage of our clients that have even started harvest. And we're sitting here on the first week of October and the majority haven't even started. In a lot of cases, we're still a week or better out from starting. And and, uh, that just really kicks the can down the road on getting a start and getting a finish for that matter. So, you know, at this stage of the game, corn, for example, a lot of corn still has a long ways to go just to get to the finish line before we can actually harvest. So, what that does is it, it kicks everything late for all of us for work we have to do in terms of getting samples pulled or prepping things for next year or making decisions for next year. So it's just going to kick the can down the road and we're, we're all going to be behind. And like I said, making decisions in the next year, I think a lot of decisions may be changed as time goes on because nobody really knows or, or very few really know exactly what they want to do for next year. So we just got to kind of roll with the punches as time goes on. You know, as you, as you think about the, the late harvest, one of the challenges that, uh, that I often hear folks talk about is, you know, it's a, a much more abbreviated window for us to be considering fall fertility after the crop comes out of the ground, too. As you're, uh, as you're working with your customers, you know, what, what, do you, what advice are you giving them around fall fertility um, after harvest and, you know, how that's going to impact ultimately what their plan's going to look like in the spring pre-planting and, and maybe even for an in-season application? Those are great questions. Um, first of all, I would start off by saying, and, and we have a lot of prevent plant fields in our region. So we have a pretty good cross-section of uh, clients and fields that didn't get planted. A lot of cases, that doesn't mean that you just ignore those fields in the next year. I would say before fertility, one thing that we stressed our clients early on in the summer is don't leave those fields bare all summer long and going into winter because you start to deplete or mine your microbial activity and your, and your positive bacteria. And you need to keep those healthy. If you mine those out, then next year's crop has to regenerate those and you'll take that at the expense of next year's crop. So what we encourage guys to do is don't leave fields bare, get some kind of cover crop going on there, either something that winter kills if you're not used to managing cover crop or even something that survives winter, just to keep your microbial activity intact. And that's really important. Secondly, we literally have been wet for 10, 11 months straight. I mean, we went through very, very brief periods of dry. We have just been inundated with rain and rain and rain. And you mentioned normal and, you know, we, I don't even know what normal is anymore. I think normal is the abnormal because nothing is consistent. And it's feast or famine. You either get get it all or you get nothing. And it just, I don't even know what normal looks like anymore. But because we've been wet for so many months consecutively, what that starts to do is solubilize out fertility that you currently have. So you don't want to just ignore fields and just say, well, we didn't do anything on this field this year. We'll just let it go till next year. You do want to know where you stand because you could be behind the eight ball starting out in 2020. And you don't want to do that, especially if you have an opportunity to, to capitalize on some decisions. 
I think a key thing for our business, we actually do a lot of spring testing or we test a lot of fields in the fall that we don't use that data until the following fall. And the bottom line is we put ourselves in a position to most of our clients that we're always ahead of them by six to 12 months. And if we're always ahead of them, we can help them make decisions long before the combine ever hits the field. And that way they're not waiting on us and they're not waiting on logistics to get fertilizer moved or manure moved or whatever. But we can make decisions before the crops come out of the field that you can be proactive against, which in a year like this, I think it's fantastic because we're already late. It's going to be even later than a normal year. And so if we can react right off the bat, that will help those guys plan ahead. Now, if we have to you know, turn things around or, or kind of chase some combines this fall, the likelihood of getting a lot of field operations done or field applications done, it's probably going to be low. And that might have to be kicked in the next spring. We may have to delay those to a spring application, but we just got to kind of do what we have to do. Well, you know, you talked about the benefits of having that cover crop out there, of doing your testing, uh, pre-planting or, or just at planting. For folks that maybe didn't take that opportunity this year, you know, what should they be considering around how to assess where they sit today and, and really understand, hey, uh, in terms of fertility, in terms of the microbials, what do I have available to me and, and what, what types of applications should I be considering to best set myself up for success in 2020? Well, the very reason we exist is to help people manage that very thing. So along those lines, I would not want to go out there blind. I wouldn't want to go out there blind and just throw fertilizer out there or throw lime out there or some kind of manure raid. I mean, I I wouldn't want to guess at what I have. I really would want to know. And that's where having a baseline soil test, you at least know where you stand. So you can react to the situation at hand. Now, if we don't have time this fall to get it done, at least you know where you are and you can make a decision on doing something in the springtime ahead of planting that you can still react to. So even if it doesn't fit your normal you know, MO of a fall application, we still got an opportunity in the spring. But I think it behooves a lot of people to at least know where you stand rather than making a guess. But I can promise you this, prevent plant fields in general, and I don't mean to keep picking on those, but just because a crop wasn't raised on that farm does not mean that your fertility levels won't change and move because they will, especially under long, long periods of saturation like we've been. And so it just, it's a dollar cost management thing. I think it's really important to keep an eye on that stuff. You know, for folks... Typically, we've got uh, we've got most of the fertilizer going on in the fall, right? Most people are doing some sort of a fall application. Some people are all fall applied. For those folks that are predominantly fall application, what should they be considering as they think to themselves, hey, I may not have a chance to put down as much in the fall as I, I had anticipated. What types of things do they need to be considering and preparing themselves for to make those best decisions as they get towards, uh, towards spring fertility? Like I said, first of all, just knowing exactly where you stand so you can decide or we can help people decide whether you can afford to skip that field or not skip that field. If you in fact run out of a window to get something done this fall, then 
you got a couple of decisions to make. One is you can do wintertime applications, which environmentally speaking, that would not be our first choice because that's your highest risk of loss is making wintertime applications, whether it's fertilizer or manure, both. And we're all dealing with, with phosphorus issues in our rivers and our lakes, especially in the Great Lakes Basin where we live. And so that's not something we encourage is wintertime applications. And so with that being said, that just means you got to make provisions to kick that application to the spring. And so you either need to be geared up to handle it yourself or have a good working relationship with your retailer so they can get that done. And so that, that really is kind of where we stand. And unfortunately, we can't change the fact that we're late, can't change the fact that, you know, our window is going to be pinched, but you just got to kind of manage it as best you can. It's definitely a challenge when you look at the logistics of, uh, of the spring fertility. If, uh, if you miss some of the window that you had anticipated having there in the fall, it can really create even more stress in a stressful time as we head into a planting season. Switching gears a little bit, you know, based on planting this year and, uh, and it being a bit delayed in some places, we've got a number of farmers that are utilizing and, and preparing to harvest crops that might be a little bit different maturity group than they had typically planted in the past. Are you hearing anything from uh, from any of your customers about concerns around harvesting products that are a little bit different than they've seen in the past? Going back to the spring, uh, we all had decisions to make, decisions surrounding, number one, do we keep on planting or do we stop and take prevent plant? You know, do we change our relative maturities on our corn and beans both? What do you really do? You know, a lot of us, quite frankly, we're in uncharted territory, considering the majority of our region never really started until June. And so we had to make some tough calls on what's going to work and what's not going to work. It's always easier. Hindsight's twenty twenty. You can always look back and say, well, we should have done this, should have done that. It definitely is looking like shorter season varieties, particularly in corn, are are going to play out best. The fuller season corn that's still got planted in June has a long ways to go to get to black layer yet. And we're not, we're not there yet. And now we're entering a cooler period of time. So there's a concern on, you know, is this corn going to really finish or not? And uh, I mean, it's going to be wet. There's no doubt about it. You know, if we do in fact get too many cool days, it's going to really string this stuff out to get it to black layer. So that means lower test weight, wetter corn and standability starts to become an issue. So if I could wheel back the clock, just looking at, you know, yield checks here at the end of the season, it's looking like an earlier or shorter season variety would have been the better choice, but, you know, we still got a lot to unfold. We don't really know what's going to happen, but that's kind of where we're at. It's a challenge to be kind of up against the razor's edge on some of this timing, right? I know that I've talked to a number of farmers that are concerned about when they'll be able to harvest, trying to balance out harvestability versus the crop getting to full maturity, as you were talking about there. As your team works with farmers that are weighing that decision, what what type of guidance do you guys give them around how to make those decisions and, and things to take into consideration when you know, trying to decide how long you really can wait to uh, to pull that crop out of the field. Well, we're telling people, you know, as we interact, number one, you know, we've been spoiled, if you will, the last few years or a good number of years of being able 
to take corn out of the field, particularly in the low twenties or even high teens in terms of moisture. And we just can't do that. I mean, unfortunately we just can't do that. Standability is starting to become an issue in corn. Stalks are getting weaker. Corn will basically cannibalize in on itself to compensate for the short season. And it's doing that. And uh, standability is just not that great. And so we're going to have to push things. Guys are just going to have to harvest things at a higher moisture than what they're accustomed to. And if they can dry their own, they're in a better position than if they have to haul the town and pay for drying. So that's going to be a big separation from farm to farm too. Yeah, looking for the ability to to get that dry down is going to be a challenge. I've heard a lot of folks talk about uh, about their concerns with moisture. This is one of those years where uh, where you hope you're planting a brand that uh, that really does a nice job of drying down for you because it's it's going to be a little bit challenging. Hey, you know, as uh, as you guys service your customers in and really provide them with the agronomic expertise that uh, that they count on from you. There's a lot of new digital tools that are out there, and uh, and I know that some of your customers are using FieldView today. How are you guys working with them, utilizing that data uh, and FieldView as a system to help them to understand their operations and uh, and make decisions? FieldView is actually one of our favorite platforms to interact with clients. In our position, we are an independent. And we deal with a lot of different operations and a lot of different brands, brands of equipment, choices in technology, that sort of thing. So we essentially have to be a jack of all trades on all the platforms out there because of the demographic of clientele that we interact with. So not everybody uses the exact same thing. However, I would say the majority of our clientele are using FieldView. And in terms of user friendliness, and ease of use and sharing data or getting data back from the client, we would probably tip our hat to FieldView. And that is probably one of our favorite platforms to to interact with and, and user friendliness. I mean, we, we really like that program. Well, hey, you know, as you're, as you're talking with folks, what are some of the things that, uh, that you're able to help them with when they have their their farm digitized, for lack of a better term, when they have that information from planting, application, and harvest geospatially mapped, how does that give them an advantage as they think about planning for upcoming seasons? Well, on our end, it's sharing of data that's so nice because in the quote-unquote what I call the olden days, we used to chase down thumb drives or run out to farms and download data or, or throw a thumb drive into a monitor load prescriptions or download yield data, whatever that is, you know, while we don't mind going to the farm and seeing them, that is a time constraint, particularly if we're up against a tight window like this very fall. And so the beauty of having a cloud-based system is sharing of data. We can pull data down, we can load data back. That's been fantastic. That, that's really cut down a lot on our time and gathering information, and and uh, our our clients tell us they like that ability to be able to share information back and forth. And so I, I honestly could not imagine life without that. Now that we've had it, it's funny how technology does that to you, right? You know, you you start to think about the time before we all had cell phones. And now, uh, now we have to have cell phones all the time. I, there used to be a time, you know, if I remember back when, you know, somebody couldn't get a hold of you because they called you at home, had to leave a message, you called them back. 
I don't know about you, but now if I don't answer my phone and somebody's calling me, I'm getting harassed about that later, about why didn't you answer my phone? It's like you can't be by yourself anymore. <laughs> I always joked uh, my cell phone is the very thing that I probably, it's probably my most valuable piece in our whole business is my phone. Some days I want to throw it out the window, but it is a really valuable piece. The cloud sharing and the tools that FieldView offers, to me, really has a lot to do with the convenience of a cell phone. I mean, it is a convenient platform, and we've dealt with it so long that I really couldn't, I wouldn't want to go without it. I really wouldn't. Well, you know, when you think about that, the the phone's always with you, right? You may or may not have your iPad, depending on where you are. Same thing with your laptop, but your phone is always with you. And there's got to be some some great uh, some great benefit for you guys and your customers to the real time information on that phone. Just even thinking about this harvest, where where minutes are going to matter, to be able to understand when a field is done being harvested and they moved on to another one, and, and be able to keep track of your customers as they're moving through their operations. Oh, it's fantastic. That. That's exactly right. If we need to pull in data, for example, if somebody picks up a new farm for, in this example, and we have no history on this farm, the moment they're done harvesting that field, they can call us. We can log in, download the data, build some zoning off of that, go, go do all the prep work right away, get to the field, pull samples if we need to, or build prescriptions if we need to. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Another piece I would add that that we've utilized here in the last couple of years is if somebody shares or grants us access or we can share accounts back and forth, you know, if we stop at a client's farm, scout a field or investigate a particular situation, we can drop pins, record notes. That's all goes right to the cloud. They can see the very thing that we just noted in their field. And I, the other value to that is we can go back at the end of the year if we're sitting down and doing an end-of-the-year summary, reviewing what went right, what went wrong, you can go back and review your notes and pins because we all get so busy. My hard drive and my mind gets full. I forget half the things I did that summer. So it's a good refresher to see what, what actually occurred. I feel like my hard drive is full most of the time these days. There's just so much information coming at us. There's so much data, and that's the blessing and the curse, right? Today, we've got more information than we've ever had before, but that also means we've got more information to process through to make decisions than we ever did before. As, as you guys are going through data and, uh, and based on what you guys have learned through the years, as you're consulting your customers on how to evaluate their data this year and how they should be thinking about making decisions for next year, is there anything specific that you call out to them in an unusual year like this to say, hey, we need to be mindful of, of these factors in the data or take this into consideration as we plan for next year? I think it is important to note what occurred in that particular year or in this particular year. Because in terms of data analysis that we might spend time in the winter doing, you do want to know and understand what happened that year. Because if you normalize data or merge multiple years together to build some normalized maps, for example, and if you just assume that all years are good data or all years are good, it can skew your information. And so you know, is this year one you want to throw out or not? I mean, I don't know that I'd want to throw it out, but you do want to note what occurred that year. Basically, the bottom line I'm saying is you don't want to just assume that all data is good data. You want to have some detail in terms of the data you're dealing with. 
you know, when you think about evaluating which years to keep, which years to throw out from your analysis, what are some key considerations there? Is it just, you know, violently abnormal from from what you'd normally seen or or different productivity? What are some key factors folks can look for to say, hey, this might be a year that we want to pull out from our normal analysis? I actually think, believe it or not, that there will be some good data that comes out of this year because in my opinion, you want to have data that demonstrates variability and changes in the field and where it changes in the field. Because like I stated earlier, we zone manage farms for our clients. So we build zones. We build zones that we sample by, we fertilize and line by. We build different zones that we uh, do seeding prescriptions by, nitrogen prescriptions by. Okay, but in order to build those zones, you have to have some kind of guide work to show you where to change, where in the field those changes occur. And so variability in the field is a big deal. And so whether you have a late wet crop or a early dry burn up crop, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that the variability is displayed. The bottom line is what what you really don't want is you don't want an uncalibrated combine yield map or yield data, for example, but you don't want a yield map that is all consistently the same color. That generally means it's poor data because calibration probably didn't happen or somebody didn't pay attention to the right setup or whatever. You want to see variability in your yield maps because that's the very thing that we want to manage is the variability. So Just because our yields may not be what they were last year or the crop may be wet doesn't mean that we won't see variability because believe me, we're going to see variability, but that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And that's something that we can manage. Well, you talk about calibrating the combine and how important that is to the results that you get there. In a year like this year where we know the crop's going to be a little bit more moist than, uh, than typical in terms coming out of the ground, is there anything that farmers need to be taking into consideration around their their machine calibration? Do they do they need to be calibrating it a couple of times through the season or or taking anything into consideration as they harvest that crop? Well, I think that's another great question, Rick. I think uh, we used to put on calibration clinics and teach people how to calibrate. And uh, I feel over time people have kind of learned that process and they and they generally for the most part do a good job. In a wet year like this, you you definitely should calibrate as moistures do in fact move down if they move down, okay? So what we used to say was you should recalibrate about every five moisture points or have a calibration set for all for every five moisture, moisture points because if you don't, your data could be skewed or that could affect its accuracy. So I guess what I would tell people is, is I would encourage them that they may need to recalibrate as the season winds on. So what they start with may not be the same calibration they end with, or they may have to switch back and forth between calibrations, particularly if they're harvesting a fuller season corn that's wet versus a shorter season corn that actually dried down a little bit better. So if you want good data, I think that's just good management. To me, that's just, a, that's just a good manager. Now, will people take the time to do that? Some will. A lot will not. But if you want to do things right, that's just what you have to do. 
You know, right typically takes a little bit longer than uh, than the short way, but usually those benefits pay off in the long run, don't they? They sure do, especially if you have data that you want to do some kind of high-end analysis on or if you want to be able to make decisions off of it. If you're never going to really use your data and you just if you just want to look at the pretty maps or some kind of simple comparison, I guess it doesn't make that much of a difference. To me, if it's my farm, I want the best, most accurate data I can get, particularly if I want to use it for decision-making down the road that you may not even know you'll be using it for because it's like planting corn. You only get one chance to plant corn right. You can replant, but you only get one chance usually to do it the best. You only get one chance to harvest that crop. So I want my data the best it can be because I only get one shot to harvest it. You can't go re-harvest the field. Well, Greg, this has been illuminating in terms of of understanding some of the things that folks are going to be focused on. You know, your customers are are definitely in good hands with the uh, the level of knowledge your team is bringing, especially considering all the decisions that they're going to have to make. We think about how to handle these non-typical crop rotations, how to treat the ground that's got prevent plant crops on it, uh, some of the concerns around getting ready for fall fertility versus spring fertility, and getting your plan set up to to be able to go ahead and get out there and harvest. It's going to be a challenging year, and uh, and I think your customers are in great hands with your team helping them along. So thanks, Greg, for taking some time to be here with us today. It was, uh, was a great conversation. You bet. Well, I enjoyed our time here. And as always, thanks to our listeners who download our podcast. This is Around the Farm, brought to you by Climate Field View. Don't miss any episodes. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also find our episodes on climate.com. We want to hear from you. You send in the best information, the best questions, the best thoughts. So find us on Twitter, search for FieldView. You can find us there and then use the hashtag, hashtag FieldViewATF, so that we can find your tweets. And speaking of feedback, please take some time and give us a review and rating. We wouldn't say no to five stars. Thanks for taking the time. And as always, we'll see you around the farm.